Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast this morning is sponsored in loving memory of Moises Asa, Allah Shalom. Leilui Nishmat Moshe Ben Najla, sponsored by the Asa family. Ruach Hashem, and as well in loving memory of Robert J. Adis, Leilui Nishmat Ruben Ben Rahel, Allah Shalom, sponsored by his wife, Esther Adis, and family. Rabotai, this week, after the Jewish people's mistake, Moshe Rabbeinu rises to the heaven, rises to the occasions, and he says to God, please, Dachilak, you must forgive the Jewish people. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, listen, you want my forgiveness? This is what you have to do. The Gemara says, Milamed, one learns from here, Shenit Atef HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that God himself wrapped himself in a talit, as if he was a shaliach tzibur, as if, as if he was a hazan, and then he said, the Yud Gimel Midot, the 13 attributes of mercy. And he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, say before me these 13 uh, Midot of, attri- of uh, attributes of mercy, and I will forgive the Jewish people. Almost a guarantee forever that if you were to do these Midot, says the Pasuk, right, if you were uh, to uh, 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 do like this before me, um, if you do this before me, then I, will gar- then I guarantee you, you have forgiveness. So, they tell an unbelievable story about these Yud Gimel Midot. In the Yud Gimel Midot, we have a very many, there's a lot of different expressions. Rachum, God is merciful. Hanun is gracious. Right? All these different things. But one of them is, Notzer Hesed La'alafim. That God guards, He protects, He keeps the Chesed that somebody does. La'alafim for thousands of years. Do you understand what that means? La'alafim. He remembers that you did a chesed, a kindness, that you did something good. When we talk about kindness with God, we don't mean that you did an act of kindness. Like the Pasuk says, Ko amar Hashem, so says God, Zacharti lach chesed neuraich. I remember the kindness of your youth. What is the kindness of the youth of the Jewish people? You followed me into the desert, into a land that was uninhabited. The kindness that we do, so to speak, with God is when we fulfill His mitzvot, especially when it is difficult to do so. God calls that a kindness. It's like you've done me a, a good deed, a good service, and I will remember to pay you back. Rabotai, the people in the synagogue of Rav Chaim, uh, Rav Chaim Tzri Berlin, they noticed every time, when, uh, whenever they would be praying, they would notice uh, the, when the Hazan, once a year, on Pesach, the Hazan would read Shira Shirim in the Beit HaKneset. We don't read it out loud as, as, as Sefaradim on Pesach. We read it out loud every Friday night. Shira Shirim Right, beautiful. It gets you in the zone for Shabbat like nothing else. Okay? The song, the love song between Hashem and the Jewish people. And that's what Shabbat is, spending time with Hashem. So the Ashkenazim, though, they read it on Haga Pesach. Every year, when the Hazan would go up and he would start reading, so he would start reading the Shira Shirim, everything would be, they would be waiting. The whole community is waiting. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for one Pasuk. What are they waiting for? Every year. No. That would be a good one. Good one, but that's not what they did. That, no. Every year, they waited one pasuk. No way you're going to guess it. 
What do we say? Do you remember? Okay? How beautiful are you, are your eyes, okay? How beautiful are your eyes, how beautiful are you, my beloved? All of a sudden, Rav Chaim Berlin, he would see, he would become overcome with emotion, and he would start weeping in his seat. And the Hazan, in deference to the rabbi, he would stop the reading for a second. So the rabbi would be able to compose himself. But invariably, he would be unable to do so, and the Hazan would carry on reading, and the rabbi is crying. Every year, same thing, same pasuk. The rabbi is uh, crying his eyes out. No one ever wanted to say anything. But they were waiting, the students, his students were waiting for the right opportunity. One of his students was very, very famous. We've mentioned it before. His name was Rabbi Arya Levine, the Sadiq of Yerushalayim. What an unbelievable person. One day, it's the time is right, the rabbi's in the right mood, it's a respectful thing to do. The rabbi says, Rabbi Arya Levine says to me, he says, Rabbi, every year the same pasuk, you start crying. What is it about this pasuk specifically? The whole of Shir Hashirim is beautiful. The whole of Shir Hashirim is haunting, especially if you learn it properly. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable, but what is it specifically about this, that each time it sets you off? And the rabbi says, I, I'll tell you. Before I was a rabbi here in this city, I was a rabbi in Moscow, in Russia. In Russia, behind the Iron Curtain, a person was not allowed to, uh, to worship publicly. You weren't allowed to go study Torah. You weren't allowed to do uh, uh, a Brit Milah. You weren't allowed to keep kosher outside. And if they caught you keeping Judaism, you'd be in trouble. You could be sent to Siberia. So everybody hid. The only people that were Shomer Torah Mitzvot, inside and outside, were the, the older Zikkenim, the older people, who that's how they were their whole life. And they felt, you know what? If I get punished, Ya Allah, then let them take me to the Gulag. But it was very, very, very difficult. One day, the KGB knocks on the door of Rav Chaim Berlin. Come with us. They drag him down to the police station. And for hours, this KGB agent is grilling him and yelling at him and screaming at him. What have you done? Who have you, who do you know? What have you, who did you do Brit Mila for? Tell us this, tell us that. If you don't tell us, they're threatening him. He's threatening his family. He's literally putting him through the ringer. The rabbi, his mouth is shut. He's shaking because he knows that the, the ramifications are going to be. But how can he rat out another Jew? How can he rat out someone from his community? So he's sitting there, literally shaking, shaking, shaking until finally the KGB guy, he's so angry, he's so annoyed that he can't break this old Jew. He walked around the table, says Rokhaim Berlin to his, uh, to his student. He walked around the table to my side and he, said, and he said, and I was sure either he was going to beat me to death or, or that things were about to get a lot worse. The man comes to the other side of the table. He sits on the table right next to Rokhaim Berlin and he lowers his voice. He says to him, be at this and this address tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. I want you to do Brit Milah on my son. As quickly and as quietly as he sat down on the table, he stands up, he yells at him again, screams at him again, yells for the police officer outside, take this Jew, get him out of my sight, bring him back here next week for uh, 
same day, whatever it is, same day, same time for another investigation. The rabbi don't know what's going on. Is it a trap? But he's been asked by someone to do the Brit Milah. Maybe the reason why the guy put him through the ringer is because he wanted to see if he would give him up. Maybe he wanted to see, you know, how far would, if someone else pushed him, would he give up somebody's name? And if he didn't give up, the rabbi doesn't know, probably didn't sleep the whole night. He goes the next morning, he's got his knife with him in his pocket, hidden. He makes his way to the address. He walks into the house, and there, to his great relief, is this hardened KGB agent standing with an old, old Jewish grandmother, his mother, the grandmother of the baby. They put the baby down. He does the brit milah. The grandmother is overcome with emotion. The KGB officer is just standing there, very strange. And the rabbi walks out. One week exactly from the day from his last investigation, they drag him back into the office. And again, the guy's screaming and yelling at him. And again, halfway through, three quarters of the way through, the barrage of insults, of yells, he comes around to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I just want to thank you for coming to do Brit Milah with my son. The rabbi can't contain his curiosity. He says, I don't understand. Your whole life, you're dedicated to eradicating Judaism. You're dragging people in day by day, killing them, you know, to, you know sending them away. If they're, this is your, not your, your ideology is the ideology of the KGB. Why, do you, why would you want to, why would you risk having a Brit Milah that the police should find out about you brand you as a traitor, punish you maybe with even death. And the man, he looks at the rabbi and he says, listen, this is the path that I've chosen for myself. But when I was a young boy, my father would study Torah with me from the time I was a baby to the time I was a little boy. He would sit and learn his Torah right in front of me so that I should absorb the words of Torah, the emotion, the beauty, the singing of it, the dvekut, the connection that I had with God as I sat and learned. And you know what? I grew up and I made different choices. And I went a different way. But I still remember that this was something that was so important to my father. And he says, and I was torn when I had a baby boy. On the one hand, this is my way I live my life. This is what I think, this is how I feel. On the other hand, I felt to myself, how could I rob my son if maybe one day he chooses to be like my dad? Maybe at least then he'll have a brit milah and he'll be able to do so. So I decided at that time to give my son a brit milah and I'll educate him with all of the education of, uh, of communism and, uh, and atheism and everything like that but, but my son would have a brit milah in the merit of my father no matter how dangerous even if I need to risk my life. Surah Chaim Berlin continued and he explained to his student he said every time we get to that pasuk where it says I'm reminded of the words of our great rabbis where they teach us that Am Yisrael is compared to Yonada just as a Yonada dove it does not fly far from its nest it stays close enough the furthest distance it goes <clears throat> is to an area or to a place where it can remember or it can access, it can get back to the nest. It never flies too far from the nest that it cannot get back. And that's why it's compared to the Jewish people. So to this person, however far he was, he wouldn't fly further than that so there would always be a way back. And that was why he was uh, willing to risk his life uh, for that Brit Milah. Rabotai, notzer. Hesed la'alafim. 
You don't know, you think you're doing something and you hope that it has an impact and you hope that it works and you see that it didn't work and you think to yourself, I can't believe it. Everything I tried, all my efforts, yagati larik, I worked for nothing. Meanwhile, an entire generation later in this existential ideological conflict that the man is having, having with his son, he decides to go forward and to give him a brit milah because of those evenings that the father sat and learned at the table and had his son hear him singing the words of the Gemara. Rabotai, that is the nature of uh, the, the <coughs> promise that HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes. The Yudimu Midot, the 13 attributes of mercy. It tells us that even in times when we're not doing the right thing, Hashem says, I'm going to be here for you. I remember who your father was, who your grandfather was. I remember that you come from a people that have given so much to be here. And even if it's not in your specific space right now, don't worry. I'll remember. I'll hold on to it. And I'll pay you back accordingly when the time comes. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.